0: Thanks for tuning into the Replatform platform podcast sponsored by Ampliance and Clavio. You are listening to the volcanic talent of me, James Gaird, and my co-host,
1: Paul Rogers. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you, doing? You ready for Christmas?
0: Yep. Yeah, I'm wearing my my bad taste Christmas jumper with flashing lights that the kids love. Um, so, all good, yeah. It is our, it's our last episode of an epic 2022, isn't it? We made it into Spotify's top 10% most shared podcast globally for the first time. How do you feel?
1: Yeah, very good. Yeah, very excited.
0: Yeah, you almost sounded excited as well um so yeah and and that is in large part thanks to all of you wonderful people for listening so we really appreciate it we hope you've enjoyed the content we brought to you in 2022 and if this is your first episode or you've joined an interesting one right at the end of the year we hope you stay with us through 2023 as well subscribe to get episode alerts, and we'd love a like on youtube spotify apple amazon wherever you are listening makes us feel much better about ourselves So we've got a good topic for our last one of the year. We're doing an e-commerce vendor strategy and roadmap 2022 roundup. So we're going to cover things like, you know, how has product strategy changed during 2022, top product features release, biggest customer account wins and roadmap focus for next year. Now, we can't cover every platform. There are just too many on the marketplace. So what we've tried to drill into is ones that, um, yeah, I've won quite a few accounts, ones that seem to be you know, getting a lot of traction globally, uh, you have, uh, you know, uh, offer B2B, B2C, a bit of a blend, and also different types of platforms some, from some of the, the larger kind of heritage ones into more modern SaaS. So among others, we're covering Shopify, Big Commerce, Optimizely, ElasticPath, Commerce Tools, Oro, Shopware, RemarkableCommerce, Commerce Layer. But please note, we know it's not exhaustive. We did reach out to a few others, but unfortunately, we didn't get their input in time to focus it, and uh, it takes a long time to to draw these lists together, so we we had to draw the lines somewhere, but we hope you find it useful. So with that in mind, Paul, do you want to kick off and talk about Shopify first?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think Shopify had a pretty big year. They uh, they released a lot of new features. The most uh, or, or a lot of the features came as a result of the additions release, which I can't remember when it was, but the first half of the year, essentially they did an equivalent of Shopify Unite, where they just released lots of new features in different areas. And then there's been a few kind of smaller um, and some bigger ones um, as well in the second half of the year. So, the first one that I'm, uh, I guess, probably the biggest one that I'm focusing on is the B2B uh, release. So, as part of that, they released uh, customers um, and price lists into, or companies, sorry, and price lists into the core of the platform. And there's a few other features as well as part of that. So, historically, you could feasibly, uh, you know, um, do wholesale and B2B by the wholesale channel or, you know, a separate Shopify store or in a very scrappy way using Shopify scripts and a few other little kind of um, workarounds, but now it's actually natively within the platform and I expect this to be a big area of focus for them next year. Um, there's also been lots of improvements to by Markets which is uh, kind of the foundation of their international offering, including uh, better multi-language support, um, various new APIs like the ability to build out different URLs and their kind of foundation for doing market-specific content is now there and I think next year the hope is that they'll introduce um payouts and uh locate local warehouses per market as well which are the two kind of main ones that i still struggle with but lots of big progress in that area um they've also released markets pro which is the premium edition um which is based around globally um, and there's lots of stuff around that where you know they invested in globally and built a pretty solid relationship there now but essentially this allows um, brands to um, provide a higher percentage to Shopify but they can um, kind of provide a managed service around some aspects of cross-border so that's quite a big one. Um, Improvements to their headless offering so there was quite a lot of um, kind of newness around hydrogen but then since then uh, they bought Remix as well so I think there are a few unknowns here, but definitely uh, some uh focus from Shopify in the headless space. Um There's also been various improvements to 2.0, which was the rebuild of the Shopify kind of theming architecture. Um, So they've released some features around things like search, filtering. There's also performance improvements, et cetera. But um, I'd say the native filtering was a big one for a lot of people. Um, And then there's also been some improvements around that as well. So you can now use tags, not just meta fields, um, and a few other little bits. There's been various acquisitions. So the one that I've noted down here is Dovetail, but there's been some others as well, such as Remix, and there's a couple on the social side. Um, As part of additions, they introduced checkout extensions or apps, which is a massive... um, uh one for a lot of people. So essentially it just makes the checkout more extensible and you can kind of build custom functionality within the checkout. And Shopify's kind of locked down checkout has always been one of the biggest barriers for like the more complex brands and retailers looking at Shopify. Um, they've done lots of stuff around Web3 and kind of token gated commerce and you know NFT minting and stuff like that. Um and they've done some cool stuff as well. Like in their New York pop-up I saw they did um some pretty cool uh, uh, NFT-based uh, selling as well. Um social commerce, so TikTok and Twitter are two of the latest uh direct integrations. And then they also bought, I forgot the name, but they also bought an equivalent of Linktree, um, where they can essentially send traffic from uh social networks like Instagram and then still own that uh traffic. And it's quite an interesting little space. So I've spoken to quite a few people that have been trying to monetize that traffic. So Shopify are obviously looking at a similar or looking to go down a similar route. Um, A few improvements to pause. And then the biggest one I've highlighted here was the introduction of uh, iPhone tap to pay, which is pretty cool. So essentially you can take payment um, with an iPhone and then someone can just tap the phone. So that's pretty new, but looks really useful. Um, Functions is another one. So which essentially allows you to start building out uh, kind of back end customizations. Um, So again, that's something that a lot of people have been waiting for for quite a long time. Um, So that's another good one. Um, And then there's lots of other things as well. So at Unite, uh, earlier... I think it was around September, um, they started to show a new kind of way of managing content. So essentially a new CMS-like offering, um, which allowed for things like content models. um, And it looked like that would be quite tightly integrated with hydrogen. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, And then they've also done things like their ERP integrations or the first phase of that. And yeah, various other things. So I think it's been quite a big year for Shopify.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that's safe to so say. I think uh, that leads on nicely to the next one, which I'm going to talk about big commerce because I you tend to do more Shopify projects, I tend to do a few more big commerce. But they've both had a pretty big years in terms of where they're going with the, the product strategy, but also I guess the coverage and the number of client wins. I yeah. think big commerce is an interesting one because um, they've definitely you know their strategy is moving more up market. They want to be like the seen as the modern e-commerce platform for, for enterprise. I think before it's safe so to say they they they're well established in smaller business and SMEs, but they've definitely moved it into enterprise space um, with like you know, wins like Ted Baker, which we'll come on to in a bit. But they've also, I guess, the other bit that they've been focused on is tech tech improvements as well. So not just the customer facing features but the underlying uh, architecture and infrastructure for developers to make it more effective and more performant. So, yeah, moving the APIs over to GraphQL. um, They've also been extending their ecosystem through stronger technology integrations, both in terms of buying and acquisition uh, into the platform and strong partnerships. You know, they've added, we talked about Advanced Commerce earlier as a, a really good modern search and merchandising and recs tool that's now their such a much partner of choice for next year. There's going to be closer embedding. The connector will get built out. They'll inevitably an API integration will follow. So they're really trying to build out that ecosystem. And I guess that's an inevitable competitive necessity up against Shopify, which has got a really vibrant um, app and technology ecosystem. So that's strategically in terms of features. The ones I'm going to pull out: uh, multi storefront which enables people with B2C and B2B to manage multiple storefronts within the same instance. It reduces operational cost and complexity rather than having to log in to different storefronts every single time you want to, to, to manage them. I know that one of the limitations previously with MSF was it wasn't compatible with the native bundle B2B functionality, which BigCommerce acquired, I think it was last year, and bought into the core platform, which, is, which offers a really good um, uh, mature B2B product suite. So you couldn't do MSF with it, but that is now coming back in the works. I'm not sure whether it's in beta or yet, or, or for release early next year. I, I believe the latter, but that's going to be a big change for MSF because um, currently, in order to do um, the that um, uh, a B2B properly, you'd have to go um, to the headless route because it wouldn't work. MSF wasn't working with the bundle B2B, so that would be a big benefit to, to merchants. They've also added um MLI multi level inventory which is in beta it's not fully live but i know that you know they will open people up to the beta program if needed so that's managing product inventory across multiple locations so you might have different locations you want to sell stock on the same storefront you might have primary location you might have backups you might have stores different warehouses etc the ability to control where stock can come from and which storefront is eligible to and the other product feature I'll pull out, which I think is a really nice one. And again, it's via ac- acquisitions. They, they bought Feedonomics, and now that's called to the platform, which allows enterprise-level data feeds and custom product data feeds out of big commerce. So if you get your product data model right in the first place into big commerce, it contains all of the core source product data you'd need that Feedonomics can then automatically generate your custom feeds, whether that's a shopping feed, marketplace, social. And I think that's a real benefit. I know that you know it's obviously it's included in the license fee. So you will pay a license uh, and to cover the cost for it. But if somebody doesn't have um really good quality data, product data or custom data feeds ready or they don't have a PIM that can do the the custom product data setup for them, then this is quite a nice added value that would go find an additional third party. In terms of biggest customer win, i I referenced Ted Baker. I think it's a really good example. I went live early on in the I think Q1 of this year so uk-based but global um like fashion brand it's built on their multi-storefront and headless so i guess it's a good example of the ability to execute a a headless solution on big commerce they've got 12 regional storefronts and there is localization so they are able to localize in terms of language content i mean multi-currencies and uh, a simple thing that other that platforms do, but the ability to to truly localize the customer experience, the content, and the journeys across those sites. So, I think I think that's I think that also I don't know how you, you saw. It. I thought that that changed a few people's perspectives of where big commerce sits in the marketplace. That a brand of that size um, and that premium pedigree would select because historically they hadn't won so many clients in that space.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a massive win for them. And getting it live as well is obviously the biggest win, but yeah, it's like true global brand. So yeah, I think that's exactly what they needed, particularly over here.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then in terms of their, fo- they're having chatted them quite a bit over the last six months, their, their roadmap focus of 2023, they're going to um, uh, extend multi-storefront functionality to be properly integrated into B2B solution so that avoids people having to find alternative, potentially headless solutions with, with yeah, there are really good alternatives. Like J Mango is a, a B2B front end that works headlessly as well, but not everyone wants or needs that complexity. So having a native multi-store front with B2B and B2C is very, very um, useful. And then expanding the the multi-level inventory capabilities So add in the buy online, uh, pick up in store, you know, BOPIS, et cetera, so that those are all um, effectively working uh, in the back end. So I think that's that's going to be having worked with a lot of businesses where this is where they're trying to go as a uh, you know, in their strategy. I think that will excite people who might have previously thought big commerce
1: isn't quite ready for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um so my next one is commerce tools, so that's one of the ones that we didn't uh hear back from but in fairness I didn't give them loads of time and I only reached out to one person. But um I think we can kind of summarize where they're at. So I think they've had a strong year in terms of new customer acquisition. Um, not necessarily in terms of volume, but they've won, from what I've heard, some pretty big brands. Um, you know, they continue to get a lot of exposure in that kind of CTO-led, like large, complex business end of the market, in both B two B and B two C. Um, so, I think, yeah, their reputation is definitely growing. And then they've, yeah, I've got a few more sites live as well. Um, the big one. So they acquired Fantastic. I think that was this year. The actual acquisition, which was a kind of um, front-end kind of CMS and kind of. DXP I believe Um, I've not used it personally Um, and then that has now formed part of the new growth edition of commerce tools or commerce tools for growth which is essentially um, designed as a bit of an accelerator for smaller um, brands and businesses I think historically or even now commerce tools is definitely associated with the enterprise market and I think you know there's a bit of a um, uh, kind of conception out there that you need to be of a certain size and have you know a certain size development team to work with commerce tools. And I think I've probably seen that personally. And, and this is essentially designed to give them a solution to bring down market and compete with the big commerces and the Shopify's um, as well. And then as far as I can see, the commerce tools for growth edition is uh, basically fantastic and commerce tools uh, kind of pre-built um, together. Um, and then Algolia as well the search, and I believe that the plan is to build in additional uh, third parties so they've got something to take out to market that's a bit broader. Um, and then the last bullet point I put was just integration. So you know, there's been a lot of different third parties that have integrated with uh, commerce tools this year, such as Claveu, um, various others. So I think that kind of ecosystem is getting built out. And um, I'd also say I've seen a lot more development agencies starting to onboard and um, start uh, kind of talking to them as well. So I think that's the the other one that I've listed.
0: Yeah, I think pulling out the the third party integrations is a key one because. I, a lot of people struggle to really understand how what, what will solution look like is to sort of like compose your own e-commerce platform feels to a lot of businesses, completely open ended and unstructured. So knowing that there are integrations that work with their APIs and package business capabilities to well-known third parties that a lot
1: of merchants use is definitely a bonus. Cool. Um, what's next then? So my next one is Centra. Um, so Centra is a platform that I'm uh, pretty fond of. Um, so I first looked at them a few years ago and they at the time I think they were quite small and then they've grown a lot since then. Um, they're really big in the Nordics and Scandinavia. Um, so, and they've got some really good brands on the platform. So a lot of people in the UK haven't heard of them, but, you know, they've got brands like Sandfish, Stronger, Bjornborg. Borg. Um, they have Norse Projects, Nudie Jeans, like various others. And it's an API first platform. They've got a really good core feature set, um, and I think it's interesting in that kind of headless space because a lot of those truly API first platforms, you know, have best in class APIs and, you know, very strong propositions when it comes to your technical stakeholders, but they maybe don't have some of that, um, kind of e-commerce functionality and some of the capabilities built out They're not quite as mature on that side. And there's a lot more development work needed for those projects. So I think that's where Centra could sit in the market, um, They are starting to come into the UK, which is probably the biggest one to note here. So I've definitely seen them mentioned a bit more. Um, And they're starting to kind of, you know, come to more events and sponsor more events, all of that kind of stuff. Um, In terms of improvements to the platform, so they've improved their PIM functionality and there's a few additional API endpoints that have been built out. Um, The biggest one is they've rebuilt the whole admin. So that was when I first looked at the platform, I think that was my first, Comment I didn't say to them, but I said to our team, it essentially looked like Magento 1. And now they've rebuilt it. It's much more user-friendly. They've kind of restructured a lot of it as well and really kind of thought about how things should work. And it sounds like that's been a massive project and the end result is really good. Um, So that one's good. Um, They've got a really good wholesale product, which I think is one of the appeals for fashion brands it's built entirely for fashion brands um, and that's now self-serve as well so you can sign up and um, kind of start your own uh, wholesale store so that's another good move Um, they've launched native subscription support and APIs around that which is good Um, and then similarly with commerce tools they've also built out more third-party kind of connectors or integrations Um, and Clavio is a big one that they mentioned Um, but yeah I think Centra is a really interesting platform and I think we'll see more
0: of it over the next kind of 18 months. Yeah, I, I really like it. I was, I haven't followed it quite as closely this year, um, but I'm really impressed by some of their capabilities, especially around international. Um, seems to have a really good native feature set in there. Okay, cool. So that's Centra. I'm going to talk about Optimize. So was EpiServer. EpiServer acquired Optimize. They rebranded as Optimizely. Um, I think it might have been actually um, 2021 when this rebrand happened. <laughs> Uh, so interesting platform because it's it plays in the enterprise space. It's got a strong heritage from its original content management and social and community, but grown out uh, into like full e-commerce and then adding lots of capabilities around data, experimentation, etc. So the only platform that's got a full enterprise experimentation capability within it is because of the acquisition of Optimizing. So they've had a couple of years of, of um, acquisitions And their strategy is starting to emerge now where they're focused on product and platform services. So um, their definition is that, that they've got key products that fit into categories, such as commerce, content management, experimentation, but then they have service capabilities that now sit across them. So customer data platform being an example. So previously they would build out capability within the product and now they're building out capabilities that can work across the different products which i think is a really smart bit of architecture Because obviously customer data platform isn't unique to like commerce there's data that sits in all of those different product strands depending on which parts of the product suite you 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 take from so i think that's quite an interesting train, change in their strategic vision about well, the definition of of the uh, overall architecture um, so they're seeing things having horizontal layers where think there are things that are used in common across different parts of the product, and therefore opening up um, their their overall uh, product to enable you know, faster delivery of like data to the different areas that require it. In terms of product features, and I've definitely been a bit more removed from this. This is why I'm really looking forward to we're going to do a focus podcast of Optimizely in January around their whole experimentation tooling. But in terms of what they've been adding from, a, I guess, commerce-relevant area, so real-time segmentation. So they've always had quite strong ability to, to do segmentation within the platform, so you could set up rules to create custom segments where you could then do things like personalization of content or personalised rules or promotions to those segments. But now they've done real-time, so the target's you can set up different targets that can adjust in real time and learn and move people seamlessly between segments depending on behavioural changes. And those uh, automations are happening in seconds because of the the AI and, and ML tooling. So previously, like dynamic segments would take a few hours to refresh and rerun and update. So I think that's quite quite a nice thing for people who are working on large scale, large volume sites where you might want to dynamically change what you're showing to your customers far far quicker um then they also have added like um uh, improved their their commerce mobile sdk so greater flexibility of tooling and to allow people to build app experiences faster and lower total cost of ownership so i guess this is more developer focused um rather than the the um, e-commerce team focus in terms of customers so they've they've won recently a big national pet food distributor which I believe I, I'm not allowed to say their name so I'm not going to just in case I can't but they supply um a large selection like high quality brands it's a U.S customer they've moved across because they had a custom solution that wasn't that had poor performance wasn't meeting their needs and they wanted to get the uh, commerce tool that had integrated PIM and also had the experimentation capability and I think this is it doesn't suit all businesses. But having that all-in-one, the ability to execute experimentation across different areas of the e-commerce journey without having to go through the process of of integrating and using a third-party tool appeals to certain businesses. Um, So that was the biggest customer win for them this year. And in terms of 2023, from the brief conversation I had with their their kind of head of development and product roadmap, they're going to be looking at continuing that, that, uh, increasing the cohesion between the different products Within the overall um, uh, product suite. And uh, yeah, improving things like um, the use of the customer data platform and platform wide workflows so that you can execute workflows across the different areas from commerce to content management to experimentation to reduce manual effort and, I guess, improve team efficiency. So, as I said, we'll be coming back in January to pick up with them around that whole experimentation piece because I think that's a very interesting area to explore more in terms of what the real value add is to customers what is ampliance in a word it's freedom the freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision create preview schedule and manage all your content in one easy place find out more at ampliance.com ampliance experience freedom
1: Great. Yeah, I've, um, I've never uh, been hands-on with the platform and I haven't spoke to them too much, but I've always been quite intrigued by them based on what you've said in the past. Um, So my next one is a very brief one, but uh, the next one is Elastic Path. So I'd say this is another platform that I haven't dealt with too much personally. Um, and I haven't seen it as much in the UK market over the last few years, but I know they're still growing in the US. Um, Similar in terms of positioning as commerce tools, I'd imagine those two compete a lot. Um, relatively simple response in terms of what we got back from them, but it sounds like the biggest, biggest change for them in terms of the kind of capabilities and offering was moving the kind of PIM merchandising and catalogue side into a single, uh, PXM as they call it, um, offering so they've kind of merged those together um which i can imagine would benefit end users um and then the big point that i've added here was that they've raised quite a lot of money so this year they've raised 90 million dollars um to kind of push the core platform um a lot more so yeah that was it for elastic path Cool.
0: Um, so I'm going to pick up on Shopware and uh, thanks to Justin Biddle. He, he heads up the UK strategy and business development. I know a few people listening will know him. So thanks for him for uh, sitting down and just giving me an update on where they're headed. We just recently did podcasts and actually on, on some of the, the key things that have been happening. And we'll be releasing that in January too. Strategically, so in re- in reaction to the, the general economic and supply chain absolute carnage of the last 12 months, They have been focusing their platform on operational efficiency to help their clients. So things like improving admin workflows and capability, um, just trying to make make life easier and simpler for people to self-serve. They added no code flow builder to allow people to, to do things like customer segmentation and set up customer groups and then trigger workflows off the back of that with low to no code. Uh, which obviously business teams want. They don't want to have to continuously rely on developers. And they've also um, changed their market position in a bit. So they've they've redone their product definition. So they've got new packages of community rise, evolve, and beyond to go through the different stages of e-commerce maturity and obviously you know, licensing to suit. And from a geographical point of view, um, due to the right uh, investment round, they recently have a car loan on PayPal. They've, they've increased their focus in the US. It doesn't mean they're not focused in the UK and Europe, obviously europe um and especially germany big heartland for them but they're trying to they're they're pushing for additional us momentum and inevitably features and capabilities they release for us businesses are exactly relevant to the uk in terms of features i like the flow builder so it builds on the underlying kind of core cool rule builder. so you know the ability to say that you know if x happens and i want you to do y ability to add event triggers and actions so uh, enables businesses to create i guess richer use cases for automation so example a, a vip workflow that might execute different ca- campaigns differently to standard um, customer communication workflows do customer order management workflows if you've got you know this can work well in b2b if you want if you have different order workflows for different um uh, customer accounts and even the ability to to um, you know to do uh, execute loyalty to different groups and offer different um, rewards to people. Then we've got customer specific price which is for the B two B, and I think this is a nice addition. So this is this is not where you can change your prices, you know, you're having sale or from different price for a different uh, country. It's about uh, custom price for a specific um, uh, customer, uh, so B two B trade customer. So that that process can be unique to them. So they, you might have a you know, a a, um, a customer grouping where they have a, an additional discount to the standard customers in your trade portfolio. Therefore, you set up your custom price list for that. And other other platforms do do this, but you know they're obviously Shopware adding out and increasing their B two B functionality. So that's a good addition in terms of customer win. So in, interestingly B2B is the main um, one so they've been obviously focusing hard on on servicing their B2B customers. So Zwillin, who've migrated all their B2B away from Salesforce, which I found interesting um, uh, towards shopware. They're operating storefronts for like ne- Netherlands, US, Canada, Brazil, China and all So quite quite a large project that and it's always interesting to see when people move from other leading vendors. In terms of roadmap focus, um, as I said, they're focusing on B2B a lot. So um, we'll continue to roll out enhancements to the B2B capabilities. I think a lot of the platforms have been doing this over the last few years. All you talked about Shopify, Commerce have done the same. Then they're also, um, uh, uh, um, I can't even speak today, enhancing subscriptions. And adding um, an improved returns management infrastructure. But I think the biggest one that, that they've been talking about for next year, uh, it's not defined in terms of what time of next year, but is the multi multi. what they call multi-source inventory. What well, you know, BigCommerce commerce call multi-level inventory. So that ability to have different um stock files as different stock inventory levels pushed into the same storefront so you can sell for multiple locations and to control which locations are eligible to eligible to which destinations basically so i think that's that's quite a call and will be an interesting one for existing customers as well i don't know if there's anything that you wanted to add to that paul
1: i don't think so i don't think, i don't know as much about that platform to be honest
0: fair enough um so the next one for me is remarkable and like, i I like this because I think it gives us a slightly different view. It's a proprietary um, platform, but it tends to they tend to have customers who stay on for a long time. So um, I think that's always interesting because there's a lot of volatility in re in the marketplace in general. So uh, shout out to Brad Holdsworth, who's the head of strategy, so, um, for you know, sitting and having a conversation, talking about where they're headed for next year. So the primary vision for their, their platform is building out front-end functionality their customers so things like product configurators subscription payment etc improving existing um um page types like so, you know Im- embedding of hero products into plps and new layouts for pdp designs so they've been focusing a lot of, of that front end uh and i guess the merchandising trading capability and in- they are slightly different in the sense that it's a proprietary platform. Each customer ultimately has its own product roadmap. They have their core, so they will bring new features into the core that they're eligible to every customer. But customers can then also build out and extend on their own. So they have a split between global assets and I guess what sort are of local to individual um, clients. But what they're trying to do strategically is position themselves as like a highly customizable platform because of that extensibility. In terms of product features this year interesting ones to pull out so they've added asset management library to the cms module uh which is really useful because increasingly people want to have greater flexibility over managing um visual assets images videos the ability to to uh import export the ability to classify um, or to assign assets to products rather than to manually do it especially when you're working in larger catalogs so that's Now built in, so those who aren't at the point yet, being able to justify move to a specialist dam like a Canter or Wyden, well, this gives you good tooling out the box. Then in the merchandising module, they've got retailing subgroups onto PLP, and I think this is a cool addition. Gives them good. uh, I guess it's a nice way of of adding some some core functionality that other platforms don't have without getting to a specialist third party. So you might have multiple the ability to have multiple retailing zones on the same um, product list page. So you could have a new in category, all the t-shirts are listed, um, but you you have a rule that's you, you sort them by like click-through rate. Then you've got the jeans, but you do that by stock availability or by brand. So that ability to cut out and apply different rules within the grid is quite nice. Uh, it doesn't go as far as a, a, an advanced specialist, like an advanced commerce, but actually it gives you more than uh, a lot of platforms do natively out of the box. Then social proofing function, I think is quite cool as well. So the ability to add social proof messages into PLP, PDP. So I guess it's it's basically inserting content snippets. So they, they, they said they openly, they said they took inspiration from a third party like Tagstar, but built this into the backend admin of people self-set. I think that's quite nice. In terms of customer win, Westbrook Cycles moved away from another proprietary, I think it was Visual Soft too, Remarkable. They had tried another platform before, but abandoned it after a few months, apparently, because it was too complex to handle their their supplier data feed requirements and their APIs, which which Remarkable were able to satisfy. Um, And they said that, you know, there's a lot of stats. There's a case study on their website, if anyone wants to see why people moved away, how they did, what the impact was. Um, But then I guess next year's focus is an interesting one. They are looking at improving personalization um, in the platform through like dynamic dynamic content based on referrer source. So you know depending on where that person's come through, it could be from a markdown campaign, changing the product, uh, changing the landing page dynamically, which is quite nice. and product recommendation solutions so that people can get that native rather than having to plug in uh, a third party, do the integration or, or pay for the license fee. They're also building out loyalty solutions. Um, So standard reward schemes, but also VIP schemes and the ability to have tiered schemes based on different custom variables. Uh, And then the other area they said they're going to be focusing on is improving the automation capabilities around things like promotions. Um, So the ability to automate the triggered launch or pausing of campaigns um, based on data. So some interesting stuff that's coming out for their clients. I think I'm quite impressed actually with how much they've got core in their platform.
1: Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of stuff in there that very few others have, or yes. like uh, would rely on uh, rely on third parties. Interesting, they've got things like UGC and uh, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, well, this is the joy of the ecom platform marketplace. We always say it: no platform's perfect for everyone, and not everyone wants it. Some people like the idea of of a core platform where they can just breast to breed, and others want the simplicity of, of I've got you've got the core. I don't need sophisticated um, functionality. I just need core functionality. You've got it simplifies my selection um right who's next for you paul
1: yeah, so um, my next one is Adobe. So uh, we didn't hear back from Adobe. However, I put some basic notes together. So I think um, there's been a number of big wins for Adobe this year, but I think all of the big ones that I've heard about have been B2B. Um, you know, they definitely still compete in the B2C market, but I think they are, they're winning some pretty high volume B2B markets and competing against the likes of Commerce Tools, SAP, um, Oro, etc. cetera. Um, so um, in terms of kind of newness within the platform so the 2.4 updates are where the majority seems to have come from Um, there's been some minor feature updates around b2b Um, they have increased the graph ql api coverage um, and again a big focus on b2b within that Um, performance improvements some kind of security patches etc they've also added improvements around the media gallery and how that's managed i know a while back they um, also integrated with whatever the adobe stock image solution is called i can't remember what it was um and then they've also added in-store pickup um so a few kind of minor things uh with like via magento i think the one thing that i've added here that i find quite exciting around the platform is uh the hoover kind of movement so that's essentially a front-end framework developed by uh, i can't remember the agencies that started it but the community is very behind it there's some really nice implementations um the kind of fundamentals behind it are a lot more modern um and there's some really performance sites on it so that's something that's um really nice to see within the magento space um and then that's all that i put together really for them i think the only other thing i would say is they are continuing to develop integrations with the the other adobe products and i know that uh their kind of personalization and search solution which is built on adobe sensei is starting to uh get used a bit more and stuff like that so not a huge amount um overall but um, i managed to dig out some bits
0: yeah i think um I've definitely seen that the, the the cloud enterprise costs have come down. There's, they're, they're definitely pushing that as more of an incentive to get people onto their overall infrastructure rather than, than uh, the traditional route of somebody building out a solution and setting up the hosting for the client. It
1: costs more now, I think, to go on-premise. So I think for a while it was essentially that cloud would be free. But, yeah, from what I understand, I think it would actually cost you more money to go on-premise.
0: Yeah, interesting to see that. That I mean it makes sense, doesn't it, to, to get everybody into their environment and ecosystem. Um, <coughs> okay, so my next one's an interesting platform that I guess, yeah, you know, not everyone will know about. Um they're more um, they're known in, in B2B as one of the market leaders specifically, but they're not unique to B2B, and that's Oro. So again, thanks to um Chris Raven, who's a UK director at Oro Inc. for providing um some, some strategy updates for us. So, their product vision is is evolving based on on how the B two B landscape is changing, on how they see it changing the demands from their clients. So they've seen uh, you know much greater demand globally for marketplace propositions within B two B, and that is where their RO marketplace plays. So that's a key strategic focus. And from the product point of view, they've been focused um, on similarly, I guess, to to, to where Shopify were talking about and um, and Ruggable, the customer experience. Um, and performance and usability. So you're yeah, helping people to order faster, helping people to search, uh, and also providing like uh, uh, improvements to APIs and productivity in the back end from the development point of view to speed up the use of the platform. In terms of product features, so they launched their marketplace module, and marketplace commerce has, uh, has been in, in fast growth over the last you know, three to five years anyway, and you've got your marketplace specialist, but you've got people bolting in marketplace capabilities to platforms. Um, but they built it ground up for B2B, uh, and I think that's interesting because it's got built-in CRM, and often what a lot of B2B companies struggle with is where's the CRM piece happening, what, what's commerce, what's CRM, what are you doing in your CRM versus your commerce? So having a marketplace within b- built-in CRM to give people the tools to serve different customers and do different workflows off the back of that, um, I think it's really, really interesting. So that's that, I think that gives great flexibility. They've enhanced their native search engine. Uh, and there's a couple of really cool things in this, which I, I like the idea of. So uh, customers, so this is trade customers, can download um, search results if they want to, which I think is quite a nice nice. item. I mean, it's a simple option, but it's a nice one. Um, they also have um, automatic alerts to customers. So if you've got a saved search, and you think about B2B and lead times, and sometimes the decision cycle is quite lengthy. We're talking months, if uh, sometimes it's even up to years. A saved search... Um, if there is a change to something like pricing or, or uh, you know, an items, um that was out of stock has been restocked, it can auto alert the customers to a change from their safe search. I think that's a really smart feature. Um, then just core improvements to performance and productivity. So stuff that's less less sexy for e-com teams, but will delight, you know, operation and tech um, teams. So revamp storefront assets like the JavaScript. They've optimized server response times to try and speed up the the underlying performance and added support for WebP images. So n- again, nothing nothing like groundbreaking, but just important that they're keeping an eye on the overall productivity as well as the, the front end features. In terms of biggest customer win, I think Dunlop's an interesting one. It's a big brand, um, and their reason for going to uh, I mean the quote from Dunlop was they leaned heavily on ORO's comprehensive native B two B features, which enable the rollout of high quality, mission appropriate back end and front end deployment with little need for customization. So yeah, um, nice win there. And in terms of the roadmap focus, they want to improve like more to organization management for um B2B to B, to B and B2B to, B to C. So uh, different models suiting different businesses as you've got different ways of selling. So the B2B2B to B to B one's quite an interesting in one, the ability for you to have to sell to like intermediaries who then sell on to other B2B um, B customers. Um so multi-vendor commerce scenarios, which I know can be quite challenging and a lot of B2B suites within e-commerce platforms don't do that. They support kind of quite quite simple parent-child account structures or customer groupings. Then try the other area there they're looking at is improving the front-end user experience to improve uh, what they're defining customer stickiness. So it's trying to get trade customers to spend more time on site and to spend more time with products. So adding product kit in and product bundle capabilities Uh, and then improve search controls, so um, reporting, so helping the marketing merchandising teams to, I guess, to self-serve more effectively. So the bundling, I think bundling and kitting will be an interesting one because it will give customers, this is common in in B2C but less than B2B, the ability to take, to create a specific SKU for bundles or to create, I guess, what, effectively dynamic bundles, pulling in existing SKUs into a bundle and managing your pricing um, around the around that bundle, and this is really important when it comes down to order management because not all systems are able to um, split out um, bundles with into their constituent SKUs to get the right um, line item orders down into warehouse for pick and back. So I think that's a logical addition. So that's my summary of ORO.
1: Great. Yeah, I think um, I've always found Aura really interesting, but I've just never seen many kind of deals in the UK that have been relevant to me. And to be fair, I do very little B2B anyway. Um, But yeah, you always hear good things about it. And I know um, some of the big agencies around Magento have have worked with it as well. Um, So, yeah, hopefully at some point we'll see more of that. Um, So my next section is essentially notable others and just a few kind of comments around some of the platforms that we didn't um, either hear back from or cover. Um, So the first one is Commerce Layer, who came on the podcast a few months ago. Um, I'd say the massive thing for them is winning Rafa. Um, so Rafa, obviously a super progressive brand, you know, do some really cool stuff digitally um, and a, um, from a multi-channel perspective as well. Um, and Commerce Layer will be the Commerce engine now for you know all of the transactions that are part of that. Um so that's a huge win. Um they've introduced a few more kind of native features within the admin, um, a few new APIs from what I hear. And I think they essentially want to similarly to Centra wanna sit in between like uh Commerce tools maybe and like a Shopify. And, it's interesting what you were saying earlier around the level of functionality people want within a platform. Cause I think that's starting to come up whenever I talk to people about platforms, like a CTO or you know, anyone at like a high level that's semi-technical. Um, that's starting to become like part of the conversation, like around that kind of line where you've got like a set of APIs here that it's like a better approach than bespoke maybe versus some of these all-in-ones or, you know, platforms that have a huge amount of functionality without their kind of ecosystem. Um, so I think we'll hear more of that next year. Um, the other ones that we've got written down here, so Sailior. So I think um, I haven't heard too much about them recently, but one massive thing that uh, means we have to mention them is that they rolled Lush out globally. Um, and this is a really, that not only is it a really big website, very global brand, significant volume, but they've also got a native app, which is also powered by Sailior. Um, so I think that's um, really interesting. I know they've won a couple of others as well. Um, We've got VTechs down here, but I haven't heard too much about them, to be honest, in the UK. But I know they continue to do well um, in Latin America um, and they IPO'd this year, I believe, um, which is big for them. And then lastly, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. So the main things that I've heard coming out of Salesforce are around headless. So I think maybe late last year, they announced that they were going to start to uh, kind of build out their API coverage and start to kind of embrace headless. Um, and then that seems to have progressed a lot since then um, and they're really starting to push it now. Um, In addition to that, it feels like they're trying to address the high cost of ownership that's associated with them. So... From where they have been involved in projects, uh, where we've looked at platforms, they've definitely been a lot more aggressive around pricing, trying to be more competitive. And then in addition to that, it feels like they're a bit more open around ecosystems. So whereas before, you know, there was a significant barrier to entry to build a Salesforce cartridge, it feels like they're starting to see the benefits of that now a bit as well. Um, and then I think that's it from my side. Anything else you want to add, James?
0: Now, I think uh, Vtex is an interesting one because I've worked with um, a couple of big consumer brands um, globally on training, and they work with Vtex, and they've worked with it um, primarily because North America and Latin America. So L'Oreal is a good example. So they've got really good reputation and uh, and track record uh, in those markets. But you're right they they aren't focused on the UK. Um, so it's, I'm going to be intrigued to see. I don't know enough about where their product strategy has gone this year, to be honest. Um, but yeah, the Salesforce one, I think it's interesting. Salesforce and Ampliance have have partnered quite strongly to provide, uh, to, to get showcase uh, headless solutions on Salesforce. Because uh, previously, there was, I think there was probably a little bit of reticence about how how ready Salesforce was from a true headless point of view. How How much was the logic really separated from the front and back end so that you can really customize your experience but the implementations on ambience with mplence providing the the front-end content orchestration and, uh, and experience i think that's a really good example of how they have definitely um like you know diversified and modernized to, to support those new models um and you're right about the the they definitely the license fees have become more flexible to 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 provide a, a more realistic business case it's still more costly to implement and and maintain i've not seen a a, a cost model where it isn't but actually the the cost of scraps has definitely come down in the last like 24 months yeah no um, i think i think we've probably done you know we we said it's not exhaustive we can't cover every platform we, we're here for about six hours and everyone would fall asleep and no one will be listening um so for those who have platforms i think should have been um, featured or have interesting stories to tell, or they're about to launch something that's going to be very exciting for e commerce people, and e commerce people want to know how it's relevant to them. Reach out to us, tell us. We'd love to do a podcast on it in the new year. But for those of you who have listened, we hope it's been interesting. We hope there's been some nuggets that you can take away that are useful. We'd also love to hear what you think has been what the key changes, what do you like or dislike about the platforms? Give us a shout, let us know on LinkedIn or just message us privately. But thanks for listening. Keep your ears open for the first episode 2023. That'll be coming uh next week. Amazing. Uh, and uh be do subscribe if you haven't already. And we would love you to give us that like in on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or Amazon. So have a wonderful Christmas and new year, everybody. Speech in 2023. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.